Well, today's scripture comes from the gospel according to Mark. We're going to be reading chapter 3, verses 7 through 21, and we're going to skip down to 31 to 34. Um, I just have to give a little disclaimer because I, I've made fun of myself before when I have uh, skipped passages or skipped verses that, that sort of like sometimes pastors do that because the passages they're skipping are difficult. And actually, the passages I'm skipping are difficult, but the reason why we're skipping is just because uh, 31 and 34 fit more thematically with 7 through 21. And next week, we will be tackling the verses that we skipped and giving it its due attention because it, it is a difficult thing. Just, just a little sneak preview. It's going to be about blasphemy, blaspheming the Holy Spirit that uh, Jesus says is the only unforgivable sin. Like, what the heck does that mean? Like, there's an unforgivable sin? What the heck? You know? So I wanted to just take the whole time to talk about that. So it's going to be cool. It'll be fun. So join us for that. A little sneak preview. All right. So today's scripture, Mark 3, 7 through 21, 31 through 34. Uh, we encourage you to find that. Um, to read along with us, it'll be projected behind me. Um, and, and I'll be reading that scripture. And we invite you to uh, read that quietly and in your hearts. Um, may the Lord bless the reading of God's word for us. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And he went up on the mountain and called to him all uh, those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again, so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. Let's skip down to verse 31. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thanks be to God. All right. Um, we're continuing in uh, our sermon series, mega series, The Story of Jesus, where we're going through the entire gospel uh, according to Mark. Uh, today's message is called Follow. And kind of uh, sort of a theme for today, and maybe a question that sort of we have to answer um, as we read, you know, gospels, which are very old, right? This is from you know, roughly like 33, you know, <laughs> AD. It's, it's a very long time ago, 2,000 years ago, right? One of the questions we have to ask is, 
Um, how practical are the things that we're reading about for us today? Could Jesus' ministry happen today? How well do those things translate into the modern times? I found this Google image of, uh, it's called a hipster nativity scene. I don't know if you can see, there's like a guy with with a beard and flannel and he's taking a selfie while uh, his wife has a Starbucks coffee and, you know, they're with the baby Jesus. And, you know, doesn't it seem like our modern lives and, you know, the lives of Jesus and his disciples, they seem to contrast in many ways. Like, man, Pastor Steve, you know, we hear about all this stuff and, you know, we hear about like demons and, and unclean spirits. And maybe that's just, you know, their way of understanding um, mental illness. You know, how practical is it for us to follow Jesus and for us to, you know, as, as the disciples did, they, they cast aside their nets. How, how practical would be, it be for us to just quit our jobs and just follow Jesus around? I mean, Jesus isn't even here. How the heck do we do that today? And that's the question that we want to answer. How do we live out Jesus' ministry today? How do we become disciples today in 2017 in our actual lives? And so, friends, just to kind of catch us up, uh, I think that this will be helpful for us to understand because being a disciple is about becoming like Jesus. So we have to understand who Jesus was. So, Previously on the story of Jesus, we found out that Jesus did not come to just, you know, enhance your life. He didn't come to just be an accessory to your life, to just make it better, but not change anything, right? That's sometimes how people want Jesus today. Like, oh man, it's just too extreme to give up all our stuff and to, you know, to completely change our lives and the course of our lives. But just give us that heaven thing. That sounds good. Give us that forgiveness thing. I like that part. You know, and you can't really do that when you see what Jesus' ministry was about because he was about revolution. He was coming as a king, right? The promised king of Israel. And he was going to overthrow kingdoms. And that includes our kingdom. And for us to follow him means he needs to reign in everything. But this new kingdom was one where God would be with his people. And his people oftentimes were not the people that the religious elite thought about. You know, they were the lepers, the outcasts, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, right? The people who were thought of being as sinful, uh, people who were thought of as less than, the other. And that's who Jesus drew to himself. And, and so he wanted to be with them. And last week we talked about how um, our religion sometimes, our religious practices can sometimes be done without God and without the spirit of God. And if it's religion without God, then it is worthless, something we need to cast aside. And so that brings us to where we are today. And this is actually kind of a good review in a way because, well, we haven't read this uh, passage before today. Um, But in many ways, we're going to see aspects of Jesus' ministry uh, that we've already seen in the passage starting in verse 7. So again, friends, if we are interested in becoming disciples that are like Jesus, well, here we're going to see what Jesus actually did. So uh, verse 7, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, um, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea, and from beyond the Jordan, from around Tyre and Sidon. So they're just coming, right? They're hearing about Jesus, his fame is spreading. Man, this guy can heal diseases. He can make the lame walk. He can do all these crazy things, and people want to see, and they want to get a piece. 
And so when the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. That's how many people are coming, right? For he had healed many so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. The people who had diseases, can you imagine that? That they've got like stuff on them, you know, maybe pus. Or they've got like blemishes from different skin diseases. They're coughing. They're contagious. And they're actually touching Jesus. I might be a little contagious. I'm catching a cold. So I'll try not to actually touch you. Uh, Sorry, Kevin. I got a little closer. Um, But they are touching him. And when the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. So Jesus, here we see, He is healing the sick, and he is driving out unclean spirits. When he speaks, they have to listen. They have to submit to his authority because that's who Jesus is. He carries the authority of God, and he is coming to rule. And these unclean spirits that are able to cast people on the ground and do all kinds of things to them where they harm themselves, they cannot do it in the presence of Jesus, right? Jesus is able to cause them to stop. Jesus is able to... To, to cleanse the illnesses. And he, in a way, friends, um, you know, if not literally, but in, in a very uh, important way, Jesus is coming to restore all the ways that we're sick, to cast out all the spirits that are not of him, right? So again, friends, now where do we come in as disciples? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because he went up on the mountain and called to him those he desired. And they came to him. And he appointed 12 who he named disciples. Sorry, whom he named apostles. So that they might be with him. And he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. So friends, I just want to show you again. What are the the, the apostles supposed to do? What, what, What is the whole reason why Jesus called them? Well, they do the things that Jesus did, right? Friends, that is what a, a, a disciple would do. You know, back in the biblical times, a rabbi would take disciples. And the expectation was always that the disciple would take the place of the teacher one day, right? So um, I remember hearing somebody preaching on, uh, you know, Peter walking on the water. And it's kind of a crazy picture, Right? where Jesus is walking in the water, and without even like thinking, Peter's like, hey, call me out on the water, Jesus, and I'll come walk out there with you. Why does Peter think that he can walk on the water? Why does he think that? Why does he even want to try it? You know why? Because he's Jesus' disciple. So Peter is thinking, if Jesus can walk on the water, then I need to learn how to do that. Why? Because I'm his disciple. That's what disciples do. Disciples do what the teacher does. So remember, we already saw Jesus is out preaching, driving out unclean spirits. So what are the disciples supposed to do? Teach and drive out unclean spirits, right? You're like, okay, amen. So this is usually where we stop, right? This is where we stop the message. We're like, you're a disciple. Go do what Jesus did. Oh, but we skipped something. We skipped something, right? We skipped something very important. That's not how he starts. He didn't, it doesn't say in scripture that he called the apostles just so they could do what he was doing. That's part of it. But what was the first part we skipped? Anyone catch it? I, I bold-faced it just to make it helpful, right? And he appointed 12 
so that they might, can, you, can we all say it together? So that they might be with him. Let's say it again. It's so good. So that they might be with him. Friends, I'm not trying to be subtle, right? I'm not trying to be like obtuse, like you figure it out, right? I'm trying to tell you clearly what this life is about. And, and I'm not subtle because two weeks ago, do you know what the title of the message was? With. Jesus has come to be with us. And what was last week's message? Without, right? Religion without Jesus is worthless, right? Why did he call the apostles? So that they could be with him. With him, friends. Jesus wasn't like, okay, you saw me do all that stuff. Now go figure it out. How are they going to learn how to do it? What, what, what is a, an actual disciple but a follower of Jesus? Remember, whenever he calls the disciples, he doesn't say, hey, go figure it out on your own and go do what I'm doing. That's sometimes, I think, what we think discipleship is. But that's not what Jesus tells them to do. He says, follow me. What does it look like to follow someone? What if I were to follow you around? (laughs) What does that mean? I go where you go. You go to the dorm, I go to the dorm. You go to your house, I go to your house. You go to work, I go to work. Right? You you, you go to a restaurant, I go to the restaurant. I'm with you, always. Right? That's what the disciples were called to do, to follow Jesus and to be with him. To be with him. Now, friends, friends, Sometimes we get really twisted about this, and we're like, okay, but what does that mean? He's not here anymore, right? Jesus physically isn't here. So back then, this is what discipleship looked like, okay? Just to spell it out very clearly, that it meant that you followed Jesus around, you were always with him, and you learned to be like him in his character and to do like him in his actions. That's what it meant. Right? And to be with him, was, there was a cost to it, right? Like we see, and, and this is usually the part that we, we focus on, is the cost. That the disciples, they saw something in Jesus, and they dropped everything, and they followed him, right? For months at a time. You know, we know that Peter was married. Probably some of, them other, uh, uh, some of the other disciples had families, right? Right? Uh, James and John, my favorites in this passage, the sons of thunder. We'll talk about that in a moment. I love that, the sons of thunder. Uh, We're told that their father, Zebedee, was fishing with them in the boat, and they just leave him. You know, maybe Zebedee, like, cast his net. He's like, hey, sons, come help. James, John? And they're like, there's a cloud of dust, you know? Where'd you go? You know, maybe poor Zebedee's still out on the boat. Guys, coming back? How do I get back to land? You know? And they just leave. They just leave everything. You know, and so it, there's a simplicity to it. Hey, just go where Jesus goes, and eventually you will learn to do as Jesus does. That's what discipleship was about. But nowadays, we're like, well, I don't know how to do that, right? And friends, instead of getting so caught up with, okay, I need to figure out where Jesus is, Maybe we can just start with that simple phrase, with him, with him. That simple idea. Jesus called us to be with him. Yes, there's going to be a time where Jesus may call you to go somewhere. But friends, can we just start with where you're at? Instead of trying to figure out where do I need to go, let's just start with right here and now. Can Jesus be 
with you. And then we will learn to be like him. Friends, learning to be like him, it's not just about learning to do what he does. That's an important part of it, right? Casting out demons and, you know, healing people and um, preaching and all these things that Jesus did. Yes, the disciples did that. But I think what is also important is how he did it, right? Um, We're going to talk more about this. Uh, We'll come back to this. But I want to talk a little bit about the 12 disciples. Um, So he appointed the 12. And I want to tell you a little bit about about them because I think it will help us to understand where we fit in with discipleship. Because I think sometimes we think discipleship's not for me. That's for the super spiritual. You know, sometimes people, they, they, they're like, oh yeah, there's like Christians, like all of us. All of us can be Christians. But then there's disciples. Oh, we are not worthy. You're so awesome. You're so holy. So I, I want to sort of dispel that myth by telling you about these 12 mighty disi- uh, uh, apostles and just how they were ordinary dudes who had a lot of flaws and weren't perfect. And so we're not going to slow down for all of them, but the ones that they kind of point out here, we'll talk about a little bit. So he appointed the 12, Simon, and we're told to whom he gave the name Peter. What does Peter mean? Rock, Rock, right? What is a rock? Jesus talks about rocks. He talks about building your house on the rock, not on the sand. Why do you build your house on the rock? Because it's sturdy, right? It's reliable. It's dependable, right? You won't be wishy-washy. You won't be unstable and fall. Was that Peter in his life? Was he sturdy? Peter was not sturdy. Oh my gosh, this guy was so wishy-washy, right? You know, he, he would like say something bold, you know, go walk out on the water and then, ah, wind and waves, ah, help me, and start sinking, right? He was not a sturdy dude. He was as flimsy as they came. He would say something, make a promise, and then break it. He was not reliable, But Jesus sees something in Peter. He says, no, no, your name is Rock. It would have been more appropriate if he called him Sand, Sandy, the (laughs) Apostle Sandy. But no, you are Rock. What is Jesus doing here, friends? What is Jesus doing? He is casting a vision for Peter. When you become my disciple and you follow me around and you are with me, you will become like rock. You will become more solidified in your faith, in your beliefs, in who you are as a person. You will become more confident. Um, at, at the lock-in, campus and postgrad lock-in, we talked about Acts 2. And when, after Jesus died and was resurrected, and on the day of Pentecost, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. And here you see Peter as the rock. He gets up and boldly, proclaims uh, the gospel of Jesus, and he calls out people who had a hand in murdering Jesus. Very dangerous thing to do. He didn't care. He wasn't afraid like he was before. Remember how he's afraid of the little servant girl who said, oh, you were with Jesus. He's like, no, I wasn't. No, I wasn't. But no, now Peter's the rock. Why? Because his life is now filled with the life of God, with the Holy Spirit. That's what the Holy Spirit is. It is the life of God filling him And now he is living into his destiny. He's the rock. All right, so let's let's move on. 
uh, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the, brothers of James, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder. <laughs> I, I said, I love that. Sons of thunder. It sounds like superheroes, right? So we don't know a whole lot about James and John, but this is what we know. James and John are the ones that went to Jesus and asked, Jesus, can we be at your right hand and your left hand? Right? Can we be more important than the other disciples? And we know just kind of following the pattern of Peter, Peter was unstable. And so Jesus says, no, you will be rock. Now, what do you think the sons of thunder were like? <laughs> Could it be? I mean, I don't know. I'm reading into this a little bit. Could it be that the sons of thunder were anything but that, right? They were like really timid. You know, maybe he's, he's like, James and John, you are the sons of thunder. And they're like, okay, Jesus, I guess so. Maybe they're the guys who are like, guys, you, you want to go to the market, get some fish? No? Okay. All right. We'll just, okay. We'll just do whatever. Maybe they're the sons of thunder, right? They're so unsturdy. They, they, are, they, they have an inferiority complex. Maybe that's why they want to be superior to the other disciples. And so Jesus is saying, no, no, no. You are not sons of timidity. You are not sons of fear. You will become sons of thunder. But during Jesus' ministry, they ask him, hey, can we better, be better than the other disciples? During Jesus' ministry, Peter wants to be, uh, uh, or Peter, you know, is unsturdy and flimsy in his faith. But Jesus still calls these people. Who, who else do we see in this list? Okay, so let's go down to, so we see Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew. Bartholomew is an interesting one because in uh, John, we get a different disciple who's called Nathaniel. And a lot of scholars think that Nathaniel and Bartholomew are the same person. In John chapter one, we find out that Nathaniel is somebody who Jesus says to of him, he says, you are an Israelite without deception, without deception. And Nathaniel is floored by this. He's like, oh my gosh, you know me. How did you know that? So I was reading a commentary where somebody was talking about like, Nathaniel was probably really annoying to be around. Like, what? What do you mean by that? Friends, can you imagine what it's like to be around someone without deception? who's always speaking the truth, right? It means he's blunt, right? Now, friends, just imagine that you're Nathaniel's wife. And Nathaniel's wife says to him, honey, do I look fat in this tunic? <laughs> tunic, yeah, you got that, right? <laughs> and so Nathaniel, a man without deception, says, what does he say? He speaks the truth. He's blunt, Right? So probably people are like, yo, man, Nathaniel, come on, man. Like, like stop. But he's like, no, I call it like I see it. Right? Do you, have, do you have friends like that? Do you know people like that who are always like, they just pride truth above everything else. That's Nathaniel. Right? And here he is being called to be a disciple of Jesus. We see Matthew and Thomas. Oh, let's not get started on doubting Thomas, right? Let's talk about names that need to be redeemed, you know? The, the guy who's known for his doubt. But friends, Thomas, by the way, ends up becoming uh, a very important disciple who goes uh, and forms new Christian communities, communities that are still continuing today. Uh, Coptic Christians still claim that... 31 years. 
Let there be light. Amen. Amen. <laughs> but to this day, Coptic Christians claim that Thomas was the one who came to them and preached the gospel to them. So Thomas was able to overcome his doubt. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot. What is a zealot, friends? You know what a zealot is? A zealot was a, a political... National Security Advisor, H.R. McMaster. It's okay. Um, this, this will be a test of our uh, attention. <laughs> but friends, uh, you, you know what a zealot was? A zealot was, uh, was a Jewish person who was actively trying to overthrow the Roman government, right? So a zealot is an activist, right? You know, so Simon would have been that guy where everyone's like in Bible study and Simon's like, you know what? You guys talk too much, right? We got to take action. What are you doing to live out your faith, right? He's the one who's picketing in front of city hall, right? He's the one who's writing to congressmen. He's the one who's, who's trying to stage the sit-ins, right? So he's the political activist, the revolutionary. And here he is being called to be a disciple of Jesus. All these people, the unsturdy one, the timid ones, the one who is so blunt, who always speaks the truth, the one who has doubt, the one who is the political revolutionary, they're all called to be disciples of Jesus. So what about us, friends? I think all of us then can be called to be disciples of Jesus. And remember, like we said, they will not stay the way they were before. By walking with Jesus, they start to become like Jesus. And so, friends, uh, we're going to skip down to um, what we're told actually at the end of this passage, that he went home. The crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him. For they were saying, he is out of his mind. His family didn't understand. Friends, when you follow Jesus, people not, may not always understand, may not always be the socially acceptable thing to do. Um, but let, let's move on to 31 through 34. So again, his mother and, brother, and his brothers came, and standing, standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Who, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. So here Jesus is equating two things, discipleship and family. Disciples and family. What is a disciple? A disciple is somebody who does the will of God, right? Now, friends, we tend to get really, really caught up with the doing part, um, but I think it's uh, doing the will of God does mean that, yes, being close to Jesus means that it should transform you. If you're part of Jesus's family, you should become like him and your life should start becoming more in accordance with him, right? And we need to learn how to do that. And so I wanna show you, friends, another passage on discipleship um, to kind of illustrate how we become the kinds of people who do the will of God. I talked a little bit about this for those of you who were at the lock-in, but this comes from Matthew 28. And this is a very well-worn passage. Probably many of you guys have heard this, uh, but I was reading some stuff by Dallas Willard, and he helped me to see uh, this passage in a new light. 
So let's take a look at Matthew 28. It says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. So there we get the word disciple again. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you. Thank you. Thank you. You guys knew where I was getting at with there. All right. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. There it is again. How are we supposed to make disciples? What are we supposed to do for them? Well, the first thing it says is to baptize them, right? So baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And by the way, it says disciples of all nations, all people. doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter what walk of life you come from. The disciples themselves, as we already saw, they're very different. Not all of them are perfect. They have a lot of different foibles. And yet, they are called to be disciples. And when they are called, they are baptized. Dallas Willard says, this isn't just getting them wet and saying the words, right? That yes, we have ritualized baptism. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But baptism literally means, for those of you who are at the lock-in, you should remember this. What does it mean to be baptized? I heard someone say, can can someone be a son or daughter of thunder? Can someone... (laughs) I heard someone say, immersed. What would you say? Immersed. To be immersed, to be dunked in, right? So in the water, you're being fully dunked in to that water. But what are you being baptized in? By the way, the Greek word here is into. You're being baptized into something. What? The name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, right? Um, So what does that mean? That you're being immersed in the identity of God. And God in those three persons, living in loving community. You are being baptized into the full personhood of God. That's what it means to be a disciple. And when you do that then, yes, we need to learn. We're students, that's what a disciple is. To observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always. To the end of the age. Friends, that is not a separate part of it. That is part of the calling. Jesus says it two ways. You're going to be immersed fully in my life. And I am always going to be with you. How do we do that, friends? How do we follow Jesus today and be fully immersed in the life of Jesus? Let let me just give you an example. Well, maybe we can do that by thinking about Jesus and the disciples and how they followed him. Friends, how do you think Jesus walked? Because that's literally what it means to follow Jesus, right? Jesus is walking around. Have you ever thought about this? How did Jesus walk? Was he like a speed walker? You ever like try to follow someone who's just like a fast walker? They're just like always in a hurry. Like, hey man, slow down. What's the rush, right? You know, was Jesus the kind of person who just took his time? You know, what pace did Jesus walk at? You ever think about that? Now, just just a hint. Jesus is the son of God, right? Jesus and his father are in control of the whole universe. Do you think he was in a hurry? Do you you think that, because friends, I, I know for me, I don't know if you've ever been like walking somewhere and you start thinking about all the stuff you have to do that day. 
you start getting stressed out and anxious. Has this ever happened to you? You're literally walking at one speed and you think about all the stuff you have to do and then all of a sudden you're like walking faster. Has that ever happened to you? You're walking faster. Your breathing gets more ragged. Oh, oh, oh my gosh, I have so much to do. What would it mean to follow Jesus in the way that he walks? What kind of speed would that be? What would it mean to immerse yourself in the identity of Jesus? He's the son of God. What does that mean? He is beloved by the father and his life is all about the Godhead, right? All about living with father and Holy Spirit flowing through him. Do you think Jesus got stressed out and anxious? We know for a fact that he taught his disciples. He said, do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious. Do not be worried the way that, you know, everyone gets worried here. Look at the birds of the air. Look at the flowers of the field. They're provided for. You do not need to be anxious. Friends, do you think it was enough for him to just tell his disciples that, hey, stop being worried. Does that ever, like, work for you? Where you're, like, really stressed out and someone's just like, don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. You know, that just makes me more worried, right, when somebody does that. The words aren't enough. It is the way of being. Being immersed in the life of God isn't just about words. It's not just about reading your Bible or hearing commands that say, go and be a loving person. What good is that going to do? Not much. Why? Because you haven't been transformed. You ever tried to swim without getting wet? You ever watch a YouTube video and somebody just explains to you how to swim? They're like, okay, this is what you do. You move your hands like this, you go like this, and you breathe, and you just, and then you start kicking. You're like, now I can swim. You get in the water, you're like, oh my gosh, it doesn't, it's not working, right? You can't learn to swim without getting wet. You got to immerse yourself fully into that life for you to learn how to be a swimmer or for you to learn anything. One of the things that I've seen for a lot of Christians is that we don't understand what the process of discipleship looks like. We get really caught up with failure. Like, oh my gosh, I failed at this, right? Like, I tried to love somebody. I tried to uh, tell someone about Jesus. I tried to uh, be a patient person, and I failed, right? We get really caught up on failure. But friends, think about this for a moment. You ever, like, try to learn how to play piano? How many people play an instrument of some kind? or have learned to play an instrument. Can you imagine that you watch a YouTube video of a Tchaikovsky concerto, one of the most difficult piano pieces to play? I think there's like three of them, and they're like crazy hard, right? Can you imagine you just listen to it, and you're inspired, you're like, whoa, that's so cool, right? You're like, well, you're a disciple of Tchaikovsky, go play, right? You've never played the piano before. How well are you gonna do? How well are you gonna do? You're gonna fail, you're gonna fail. What does that mean? Like, oh, I should never touch a piano again. No, it just means you haven't learned the proper steps, right? You have to learn to walk before you run, crawl before you stand. As a Christian, instead of going to all the extreme places where you think a Christian needs to go, before you do that, let Jesus be with you now and teach you now where you are. Baby steps, people. Baby steps. For me, I want to be a loving and patient person who can love the whole world. 
You know, you see Jesus, the way he loved people, it is extreme. It is crazy. It is advanced level love, isn't it? Right? Like people are literally nailing him to a cross and teasing him and making fun of him and humiliating him and stripping him naked of his clothes and he's there loving them and forgiving them. Oh my gosh, if someone cuts me off in traffic, I want them to die. Right? Right? How am I supposed to love like Jesus in that way? It's impossible unless I am able to immerse myself fully in the life of Jesus. And that is going to take time. It's going to take time. Friends, as disciples, this is what we need to learn to do. Let Jesus be with you now. I want to show you uh, kind of two pictures of being with Jesus. And I don't think they're bad, but I think they're incomplete. Um, So, you know, because we're trying to learn how to be with Jesus, right? There's a story that I heard. Well-worn story. Again, uh, I I think I've told it before in past years. Um, You guys heard this one about the guy who learned to pray with an empty chair next to him? You guys know the story? Okay, let me tell it to you real quick. It's basically, um, there's a new pastor who comes to a church, and there's a man at the church that is kind of sick. So his daughter calls the pastor, he's like, hey, can you come hang out with my, my dad? He's been sick, and he's kind of lonely, and it just would really mean a lot to me if you could check, up, uh, check, check on him. And so the new pastor's like, sure, why not? I guess that's what I do, right? So he goes there, and he talks to this man, and um, the, the man's like, hey, pastor, can I ask you something? He's like, yeah, sure. Um, oh, and he notices there's like an empty chair next to the, the, the guy's bed. And he's like, um, yeah, like, hey, were you expecting me? He's like, no, I had no idea you were coming. You know, so he's like, hey, can I ask you something? Can you close the door? So he closes the door, and he's like, hey, um, I had a question. Uh, I've been trying to learn how to pray because I, I just wanted to learn to, to be closer to God. And I asked the previous pastor how I should learn how to pray, and he gave me this long thousand-page book uh, by some German theologian with words I could, couldn't pronounce about prayer. And I tried reading it, but I got to, like, you know, the intro, and I just gave up. You know, then I was uh, telling my friend about my frustration with my prayer life. Um, and my friend was like, hey, have you ever just tried talking to Jesus like you would talk to me? He's like, no. He's like, yeah, why don't you just pull up an empty chair next to you and just imagine that Jesus is sitting in that chair and just talk to him like you would to a friend. He said, so I've been doing that. You know, at first it, I felt kind of silly doing it. But after a while, like, I really started to enjoy it. And I've been doing it, like, sometimes, like, 30 minutes, an hour. Time just flies. And he's like, Pastor, do you think that that's prayer? Like, am I doing it right? And the pastor's like, man, that's not prayer. I don't know what is. And so a few months pass, and he gets a call um, from the daughter, and she's crying. He's like, hey, what's wrong? He's like, Pastor, um, my, my, my father passed away uh, this morning. He's like, oh, well... I'm so sorry to hear that. Was it peaceful? Like, yeah, yeah, it was really peaceful, but something was really weird, actually. This morning, I, I was, you know, just talking to him like we normally do, and he, like, told me some jokes, and we laughed, and it was great. And then he got really quiet, and I could tell that something was wrong, but then he did a really weird thing. Right before he died, he leaned over, and he put his head on an empty chair, and I love that story, right? It's like a great story. You're like, oh, man, Jesus is in that empty chair, right? Jesus is with him, right? I have one thing to add to this story. 
Maybe this guy was bedridden because he was sick, you know? But I know there have been times where I've spent time with Jesus and it's felt like Jesus was there with me. But this is the thing that I want to encourage you. Remember, Jesus didn't just call his disciples and say, hey, go into a room by yourself and just be with me. That's it. And then when you go out in the world, you can just do whatever you want. No, come and follow me. They are called to be with him. I think the, the thing I would add to the story is don't leave Jesus in the empty room or in the empty chair, right? Don't leave Jesus there. Take him with you wherever you go. There's another story. Um, I just looked up uh, walking with Jesus and I did a Google image search. And this is the first image that came up. Oh, no, go back, go back, go back, please. Okay, so this is the first image that came up is Jesus walking with uh, this man on a beach, right? And this probably calls to man calls to mind the, the um, you ever hear the, the poem, it's like, oftentimes on bookmarks, uh, like footsteps in the sand, right? And it talks about how like this man, like he has his dream about, you know, um, he sees like two sets of footsteps in the sand and then he sees images from his life, right? And, and the footsteps are supposed to be where Jesus was with him. And where there's one set of footsteps, that's where Jesus carried him, right? And people are like, oh, so good, right? That's not bad, right? That's not bad. But friends, it shouldn't just be at the end of your life where you realize that Jesus was with you. The punchline to this story is that the, the man is like, oh, Jesus, how come in my most difficult moments, there's only one set of foot, foot, footprints. Why did you abandon me? And Jesus' answer, of course, is, my beloved son, I love you. I would never abandon you. It's in those times that I carried you. And then he's like, oh, and there's a light bulb that goes off. You know? But friends, this is my question. What about if we actually knew Jesus was there with us? It wasn't just at the end of your life. And so I I continued to do a Google search of walking with Jesus because I'm like, you know what? Walking on the sand uh, is okay, but we're not always at a beach, you know? Are there any examples where Jesus is actually walking with us in real life? And then this image popped up and like, like I just wanted to show you because I thought it was so funny. Um, because I'm like, whoa, this is kind of like cool, right? It's like a dark-skinned guy with an Asian girl, you know, and he just has his shirt just says Jesus, right? I'm like, oh, man, are they doing like a skit or something? Or is someone like very progressive? What it actually is, is this is a picture for the admissions at Jesus College. So the guy, that guy's just wearing a Jesus College shirt, right? He's not saying that he's Jesus, right? But, but I was like... But maybe it's like that. Maybe it's like that. Jesus is just walking with you and he's just wearing a t-shirt. It's just ordinary life. There's like bicycles. I've never seen a street in America that looks like that with that many bicycles. So this may not be America. It might be another country. Um, but friends, uh, this calls to mind to me, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 19. When we talk about Jesus being with us always, it says rejoice always, pray without ceasing, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Remember, friends, what are the the disciples supposed to do? How are we supposed to make disciples? We immerse them in the life of God, right? Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and we teach them to obey everything that Jesus commanded. Right? And, and what, what does it say uh, in that last part? For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother 
and sister and mother. Right? Do you see will of God somewhere? This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. The will of God is this. Rejoice always wherever you are. If you're in a situation where you're just, I don't know, freaking out or you're stressed out about your your classes, you're thinking about the future and you just don't have hope, rejoice in that moment. Remember that God is there with you. Pray without ceasing. You know, friends, uh, the, the empty chair is cool and all. But is there a sense that God is there with you? Give thanks in all circumstances. Friends, one of the things that um, I was talking to a brother about this week is don't outrun your moment. This is what it means to walk with Jesus, right? When we start getting ahead of ourselves, right, and we start worrying about the future, right, we're not present because we're like, oh, man, all this stuff needs to happen, right? I think in that moment, you are starting to outrun Jesus, right? Because in that moment, you can't rejoice always. You can't give thanks. You're not praying. You're you're plotting. You're scheming. You're trying to figure out how to fix everything yourself. But friends, could you take a step back and just be in the moment you're in, the moment that you're in right now, right now, wherever you're at, you're at work, And your boss just reprimanded you for something. And it's making you feel like crap. You feel lower than garbage. You feel worthless. You feel like a failure. Can Jesus be with you right there in that moment? Can you let him be present? Can you immerse yourself in his identity? I am a beloved child of God. In that moment when you're freaking out about four midterms next week, Can you take a moment to take deep breaths and not outrun your moment, but to know that God is here with you now? Friends, if you can start training in that way, I think you will become a more patient and loving person. If if you, in the moment that somebody wrongs you, maybe it's just someone on the street and they bump into you, and your first instinct is like, hey, buddy, what's wrong with you, man? Freaking jerk. You know, but you take a moment to be like, oh, God is in this moment too. I can forgive in this moment. And like in, the, in that moment, just your anger flares. You can't help it. But you're like, no, God is here in this moment. You know, I'm just going to practice. I'm just going to let go. I'm going to forgive. I'm going to let God be here now. Friends, do you see what it means to start immersing yourself fully in the life of God? You do that every day. Every moment and more and more, you will become more and more like God. I just want to close with this, friends. I I have talked to some people about the messages that I've been preaching. And some people are like, Pastor Steve, I love what you have to say about spending time with God. But every time I don't spend with God, I feel guilty. I feel so bad, right? Friends, it's, it's kind of weird a little bit to me, right? I understand that. I understand that. But being with God is our lifeblood, right? It is our spiritual food. It's like feeling bad about not eating. Do you ever feel bad about not eating? And you're like, oh my gosh, I skipped lunch. Like, oh, geez, well, I guess I can't eat dinner now, right? (laughs) That makes no sense. But that's what we do with Jesus. 
We're like, oh my gosh, I didn't spend time with God, so now I'm not going to spend time with God ever, right? Because that's what shame does to you. Shame causes you not to want to spend time with God ever, right? And so, friends, in that moment when you start to feel shame, let that be the indication. I need to immerse myself in the identity of God that erases that shame. I don't care if you didn't, if you spent the last, you know, 20 years of your life and you've never spent time with God. Now is your moment. Don't live in the past. Don't run to the future. Now is the moment to be with God. Just right now in what you are doing, can you invite God into that? Priest team, can you come up? And let's just do that right now, friends. Can you invite God into this moment? I have to say, I have a confession, friends. I am still learning how to do this. I am a disciple. What does it mean that Jesus is here with me now? Like, can you see him? Do you see like a little spiritual outline? Is that what it's like for really spiritual people? They always feel like there's like a presence next to them. They can feel the warmth of Jesus. I'm not sure, friends. I do know that the more that I'm spending time in the presence of God, I'm starting to let go of my anxiety because I'm starting to come into this truth. If God is the God in control of the whole universe. And if God loved me enough to send Jesus, his son, to die for me so I could be with him forever, there's not a whole lot that I need to be stressed about this life. I need that truth to just sink in. It can't just be up here. It's got to be in here and throughout, in every fiber of my being. So friends, maybe just take a moment and Maybe you can just hear this truth or you can repeat it to yourself. And let's just hear it again and again. We might need to slow down. There might be things that are blocking out this truth. This is our work as a disciple, to immerse ourselves in the life of God. We've been immersed in the life of this world that's been telling you, you got to move faster. you got to be more efficient. you got to do more. you got to prove yourself. And God is saying, no, you just need to rest. Come and be with me. Let me tell you who you are. Let me tell you what you are worth. You are worth more than the sparrows. You are worth more than the flowers of the field. I love you. I sent my son to die for you. You are safe with me. You don't need to freak out about the future. You don't need to freak out about relationships. You don't need to freak out about all the things you're trying to manage. Just let me love you. Take deep breaths. Just be present. Let me be with you and soak in my life so my life can become your life. My character can become your character. My love can become your love. And you will learn to be able to do all the things that I do. You will learn to be the way that I am. An unhurried soul who is confident in who his heavenly father is. God, for all of us, Lord, may we know this truth. May we know who we are. Even as we leave this place, we go out into the hurried world. We're talking to friends and eating lunch. Help us to be more aware in that moment that you are there, to let you in, because we need to be with you. We need to be with you, and we need you to be with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.